Welcome to Inspiring End-of-Life Conversations with Nina Impala. Do you have questions about death? How about events surrounding death? Or perhaps you have questions that need to be answered after death. On this program, we talk frankly and openly about the subject and invite you to share your comments and experiences as well. Now, here is your host, Nina Impala. Well, hello, everybody. I'm so happy to be here and to be here for another show of Inspiring End of Life Conversations. I have today with me a beautiful young lady that I admire very much, and I met her when I was working at a hospice here in San Diego and was blown away one day when she walked into my office and told me her story. So despite being only 34 years old, and today is her birthday, so I'm going to say happy birthday to her, Margaret has already experienced a lifetime of loss. At 10 years of age, she was exposed to death for the first time when a friend died from complications from their shared disability. That same year, both of Margaret's parents were diagnosed with cancer, causing her to live in fear of both her own potential death and that of either both of her parents. Two years later, Margaret's dad died in what was for her a very unexpected traumatic situation which started her on a 20-year journey to find life and hope in the face of repeated loss. With help from a lot of therapy, grief groups, writing, and volunteering at a hospice, Margaret has been able to face death and grief head-on and is no longer held prisoner by the fear, anger, and sorrow that for a long time kept her from fully engaging in life. She's currently working on a memoir in which she recounts her experiences of lifetime of life and loss. Margaret, I'm glad to have you here today and happy birthday, sweetie. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. So let's talk about how this all started for you when this journey of having the theme, you call it um, that you actually realized that death was going to be a theme in your life, mm-hmm. started when you were 10 years old. So why don't you tell us about that first experience at camp with your friend? So the first experience at, at camp, I um, hadn't heard about my friend's passing until we got to camp and they had a memorial there. Um, but just knowing that someone you're eight, like I'm, I'm 10 years old, you know, you're not really thinking about death. You're th- right. thinking about life and friends and school and everything. And, you know, then my friend kind of passes away and you're kind of like, what? <laughs> okay. Um, you know, then it, you start kind of questioning, well, if this can happen to her. She had my same disability. You know, there was, there was a complication from it. Like, oh my gosh, you know, what if that happens to me? Yeah. You know, and I, I had days where I'd be like just sitting at home or putting on my shoes or doing something basic and kind of going, is that going to happen to me today? Because it could happen at any time. Right. You know, even as a child. And at such a young age, you, you don't even, I mean, most people, their first death is a grandparent. Right. Not a friend at 10 years old. And so, and did you have anybody to talk to at that time in your life? Not really. Um, no. Wasn't until later. And so, when you left camp, did, it was all something that just kind of got pushed down and pushed inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, then uh, my parents' situation kind of took over mm-hmm. and, and sort of kind of brushed that underneath it. So, all of a sudden, that took over. Wow, because that happened about six months later, right? Right around that time, yeah. So, once so when your when your friend died, that was pushed aside, and then your parents have cancer, 
And your dad actually had a really tough time. And tell us that story about one day, you know, you were, you were, you knew you're a very intuitive person, Margaret, and you probably were very intuitive as a child. And so let's go a little bit deeper into that. So when you were talking about your father passing away, what did that feel like for you when you just kind of knew? I'm sure you were worried about it and you were thinking about it. You were 12 then, right? At the time. Mm-hmm. I had just turned 12. Um, I, it, it flipped my world upside down. Honestly, it was both expected and not. Um, he was diagnosed with cancer, like you said, two years before. So, you know, he had been sick and, and struggling with that. Um, mm-hmm. I was not aware at the time that it was terminal. Um, and then he ended up having a stroke um, at the end. So, you know, that came out of the blue. And you came from a family that did not communicate a lot. Right. Yeah. Our family was kind of the push it under the rug, you know, pick yourself up, move on, you know, don't dwell on things. And, you know, the other thing, too, about that is it's not an uncommon thing for people not to talk about death. And especially with, uh, well, at this point, you know, you were just an adolescent, almost a teen, and nobody would come up to you and say, Margaret, your dad's really sick. He's probably only got a few days left. Something really bad could happen and help you kind of prepare for it, right? Right. There was nothing like that. No. And one of the things that you and I talked about, but the hardest part about that is the day that you, you felt in your heart that you should have stayed home or you should have stayed with him. Yeah, that, that day has stuck with me. Um, and was part of why I got stuck. Um, so what had happened that day was I'd come home from school and I was supposed to go to my old elementary school to volunteer with help one of the teachers, you know, for an hour or two. And it was a dialysis day for my dad. Um, he had bone marrow cancer, so he was on dialysis a few days a week. And, you know, he was kind of, you know, having an, an extra tired kind of day. And, you know, so I, I kind of said, well, you don't have to take me. It's, it's only a mile down the road, but, you know, it's fine. You can, you know. Just go, right. You're, yeah, I'll be fine. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. So we, we kind of went back and forth a little bit of like, no, it's fine. No, go. You know, and so eventually he, I'd get dropped off and I, you know, do my thing at the school. And, you know, then I go out to the curb and I'm waiting for him to pick me up. Now he was either always early or on time. So I knew when he wasn't there, like I knew right then that something had gone completely wrong. Mm. And you were 12. So... When you went there, that was it. the last time that you got to have a, a conversation, seeing him really alive. That was it. That was the day you were gone. So when the, you came back, he was a shell of a man and you had to live with that. Right. Here's the thing. I want to talk about this for all people and for the audience as, you know, for just for everybody is that those feelings that we get left with, you probably dealt with guilt for quite some time about that. Yes, very much so. It never left, huh? For a no. while. No, for Not years. Much older. Because we keep going back in our head trying to figure out, okay, I should have stayed, I should have stayed, but that's over now. And you know, Margaret, I don't know how you feel about this, but what I will say is that in my experience of taking care of people for so long, they kind of choose on some level how they want to die. My guess truly, is that your dad didn't want you to worry about him. But at 12 years old, you don't know that. Right. No. Um, I, 
held on to that for a really long time because like I had said, we kind of went back and forth and I could have stayed home. And what if I stayed home? He had a stroke, you know, right. there's a window in the beginning that if you kind of, you know, can get on top of that, there's a chance that the person can get through it. So, you and know, then, my not being home, you know, he passed away because I wasn't there was sort of my 12 year old logic. That would have been exactly right for a 12 year old and, and healing that is the journey. Yes. That you've pretty much been on. And then with all of the multiple deaths that we're going to go into, you know, it's it's like, I just can't imagine, you know, because nobody was talking to you. Nobody was helping you. You were like a self-taught griever, Margaret. I was very much so. You pretty much had to find your way. You've done an incredible job. And we're going to share that with our audience today because you really met some incredible people along your journey. So it's kind of, it's been, and like you said, it's been such a theme in your life. So how did you figure that part out when you said, okay, this is going to be a theme in my life. I'm going to have a lot of people die. Like how age, how old were you when that started to happen? Because it's like, you kind of knew that things, it was just going to keep coming. Bless your I, I did. Um, it's, it's interesting because I've, you know, I've lost 20 plus people and it wasn't until I was 28 um, wow. It was like a year that I lost four friends in, in the, the same year. Yes. Um, two of them are two weeks apart even. Um, so in, in the 15 or whatever losses I had before that, I hadn't quite caught on. This is the theme of your life. Like, you know, but losing four in a year, I kind of sort of knocked me upside the head. Of like, by the way, like you need to wake up to that. This is, this is your thing. Um, so it was, it was that year when I was, when I was 28 and they, they had all passed by the end of that. I kind of looked at and said, okay, this, there's something to this, and there has been all along. It's so interesting. You know, on this show on Inspiring End of Life Conversations, these are, this is like one of those incredible conversations that you have to look at life in a way we just don't know. We, we just don't know. And it blows my mind that some people never experience any death at all. And I, I know a few people where they they've just haven't experienced any death, maybe one, maybe a grandmother, and they're now like at my age, and it just blows my mind. And there's a level of acceptance is what is what you're doing. There's a level of acceptance that comes in that says, okay, this is my life. How do I move forward? What is my soul here to learn? Right? Right. Because it's part of your soul's purpose. And I really want to really want to drill down that on that a little bit because, you know, everybody's life doesn't look like it looks on, you know, in pictures, right? We all go through a lot of suffering and I think recognizing it, accepting it, which is the way I feel about death. I mean, I talk about it all the time. People think I'm kind of morbid. If you saw my library here, just about every book on my shelf is about death. But it's been a theme in my life as well, not like yours, but it's something that God, I feel, or the universe has called me to do. So, what would you say for like coming from a family that didn't talk a lot? Is that something that got better through the years as you decided to open up in your own healing journey? Or did you just kind of go off on your own and just say, this is the way it is in my family? Has anything changed there, Margaret? I think for, for a really, really long time, I kind of got on my own path. Um, 
know, my family was one of these pick yourself up, move on. So there wasn't really anyone to talk to. Strong. Um, yeah. Just keep going. Kind of a yeah. World War II kind of exactly. family, right? Exactly. So that generation was like that, even though your mom wasn't from that generation. But that generation was just, you just do what you got to do. And you just keep going, push it down and move on. Right. There was a lot of just get over it. Why aren't you over it? You know, how are you still dwelling on this? This was a while ago. You know, all of that. So, wait a minute. Let's go back then. We were talking about, you know, one of the things. So, here we're getting kind of into what people talk about, the things that you don't need to hear. And one of the things that was common for you was getting over it. Yes. Haven't you gotten over it yet? How did that make you feel? So, that's important, you know, because that puts a huge burden on somebody that's going, you feel judged, you feel misunderstood, and you feel like you want to go home and crawl into bed and just forget that the world even exists. Right. It is the most invalidating thing you can say to somebody who's dealing with grief. Yeah. And you wonder why. Because they don't know, you know. And as a child, losing a dad and going to school and actually trying to have a conversation where, you know, they look at you and go, why are you so sad, Marta? Well, my dad died. Right. Another 12-year-old child would have no response to that. They'd say, well, are you going to go on the swings now and play? Are you going to have lunch today? They'll just skip right over it because their brain doesn't even know. Right. Would you say that a lot of your healing came from older people, Margaret? Absolutely. That is entirely um, a majority of my journey has been you know, from a very early age, I related to people that were older because of that shared experience in a way. And that just has continued um, throughout my entire journey. Because it kind of made you grow up fast. Would you say that? Definitely. Yeah. Do you, do you think that, you know, as a child having to live with two deaths actually close together, because basically really important people died in your life at 10 and 12 years old. Really important people that you thought were going to be around a lot longer were the ones that died in your life at those at that age. And so it probably made you be a much deeper thinker, not a carefree child. So it made you grow up quick. Yeah, that was a lot to carry from very early on. Yeah. And plus you do have a handicap, correct? That you do have a disability. Yeah. Yes. And that makes it even harder too. Right. It's been a lot for you, you know. So if we wanted to go into um, some part of the healing journey, we are going into break in about two more minutes. But you have done so much on your healing journey. You've done your hospice work. Yes. That's how we connected. That's how we connected is, is the amazing work that you've done with hospice. And so what I always say about that, with hospice because I helped Lori when we were there together training a lot of volunteers and things like that, that somehow being of service, it just does something. I'm not sure what that is, but when you're helping other people that are dying, but you, and you did a lot of um, crafts for us on all kinds of things at the hospice that I think really helped heal your heart a lot. Plus you were building community. And so what I think is really important with that is that, and I want to say this for everybody out there, you know, when you're grieving, that community is really important. It does take time, though. 
would you say that you wanted to be alone more in the beginning than you wanted to build community or was there like an aha moment for you with that? Well, I think it was, it was just naturally a lonely, a lonely place in the beginning that already was just sort of built in. Um, but as I kind of went along, um, you know, I, I found the people, I found community and, and the more you find that, the more you kind of want to bring people in and yeah. connect with like-minded and like shared experienced um, Exactly. People. So that's a wise thing to do at a young age. I mean, if I put myself at your age when you kind of started coming around in your 20s, when you, right. is that right? When you started yes. kind of figuring stuff out and going, okay, there's got to be way more to this. Yeah, about my mid-20s. Mid-20s. So, we're going to go to break. And when we come back, I really want to share some of the amazing people that Margaret's met and a lot of the wonderful things that she's done and what she's learned and the wisdom that she has gleaned from death. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Nina offers an alternative to traditional counseling. Sessions are not just 50 minutes, but a full hour. When you go in for a regular counseling session, many times you don't remember everything. Nina's Difference is a summary email after each session and or a follow-up phone call if needed up to two weeks after. Nina also provides hospital visit consultations as necessary. Sessions with Nina and Paula are $250. And if you book a three-session package, you will get a $100 discount. Let's get you feeling peaceful and happy again. Losing someone we love is one of the most challenging, fearful, and heart-rending experiences we are ever likely to face. In her book, Dearly Departed, Nina Impala shares stories of her experiences as a hospice volunteer for more than 12 years and how those experiences prepared her for the final days of her own parents. Nina emphasizes the importance of being a good listener and living a good life. Dearly Departed by Nina Impala is available in paperback or Kindle edition through Amazon.com or your favorite book retailer. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Inspiring End-of-Life Conversations. If you have a question for Nina Impala or her guest today, call into our program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to tutoringforthespirit at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's program. Okay, we're back with Margaret Lennon, and uh, we're talking about grief now. So, Margaret has been talking about these multiple deaths she's had in her life, and there was a turnaround for her and what she calls the year of the four. Right, Margaret? Yes. 
So that's kind of when your aha moment hit and there's like, okay, I need to do something about this. This is the path my life is taking. So in the year of the four, if you could talk to us a little bit about what you decided to do to help yourself with all of this death that was in your life, that was kind of like the picture I get in my head, Margaret, is it just kind of started stacking on top of each other, like a very tall stack of thick books, you know, kind of collecting dust almost. Okay, I got to do something about this. I need help because it's not going to change kind of thing. Right. I, uh, in between the, the year of the four and my friend, you know, there were already probably eight or however many people in between. So, the, you know, every time that I didn't deal with one of the, the losses, that compiled to the next one, to the next one, to the next one. And then with the year of the four, they were back to back to back. Wow. Um, and it was at that point that I kind of said, you know what, I need help with this. And, you know, one of them was really a significant loss. And that really kind of triggered the, you know, you should talk to someone. Can I ask you, were these all like really close friends, women that were in your life and, and, or was it family members? Not that it matters, but just kind of give everybody an idea. Three of them were childhood friends, actually. Um, and one of them I grew up with from the day, I, the day he was born, actually, our parents met. So. These were young people. Yeah, all I under mean, 35, I think. Wow. I mean, that's just, when you think about it, it's just crazy. You know, it's not like they're, it's time and they're having a natural death. These are young people that left the earth. Right. That's not supposed to happen that way. No, it's not supposed to happen that way. So, hmm. so tell me about your first bereavement um, experience that you had and how did you, it, it definitely brought you community. I'll let you talk about it. First experience. So I was led to a group um, at Mission Hospice. I had a, a friend that knew the bereavement coordinator there, and she said, you should go you know, check out this person's group. And I had been doing um, groups for, for other things before, so I kind of knew the, the way kind of groups, you know, support groups kind of ran. Um, but that was sort of one of the first times that I had a specific, you know, you had the specific community of people who had lost someone and being able to open that door and finally have that space, you know, that, that holding space for this, that I couldn't talk to people about, you know, yeah. at any time up until then. Now it was like a freedom to process that and, and you know, acknowledge that this is going to be a thing and, you know. And it helped you a lot. So here's the thing with that, you know, once it, the grief starts to move. So I always say to people, you know, you got to get your grief past your skin. It's got to come out. And if it doesn't come out, it will find you. You know, I think I might have told you this story because my mom's dad died about the same time your dad died. She was 11. And all I remember as a young girl that she finally grieved him at around 40 years old. And I didn't really know what was wrong with her. And I think my sister or somebody said she's grieving her father. And I can't stress the fact enough that if you don't do the work that you're doing, it will find you. It'll either be in your body and make you sick. You'll be depressed. You won't be happy. And life will just kind of be a gray color because it's heavy. You know, grief can be really heavy. Sometimes I picture it as like a big wet blanket. You know how heavy a blanket is if you take it out of the washing machine and it hasn't quite spun all the way? It's heavy. And then if I took that and pretended that was grief and I put it on top of you, what would that feel like? So you began the journey of grief and you started to move through it. 
So I want to mention here for you that when it started to move, that really cool things kind of started to happen for you. Right. An opening, so to speak. You probably, you started writing, right? I did. I I started journaling. You're extremely creative, Margaret. Margaret makes beautiful things. (laughs) Thank you. The dessert kind. (laughs) It's really good. You know, and so that really started to help you move through it. After the year of four, when you started having other deaths in your life, did you start to shift your thinking in processing the deaths after you started doing bereavement? Did it get easier? I want to say not easy, but was it more of a, okay, there is a reason for this. There is something, a soul's purpose, something like that, where before you were just kind of floundering. Right. It, it just sort of started to sink in that, you know, okay, what am I supposed to be learning from this? You know, all, all of a sudden, all of these had kind of piled together and it's like, there has to be a reason, you know, why does this keep happening? Like, there's, there's got to be. You know, because otherwise this doesn't make sense that I'm losing all these people. Like, what, what's going on? Yeah. Tell me about the shift that you had for your, 20, your dad's 20th anniversary. That was just recently. That, what was, happened? that was two years ago. Oh, two um, years ago. Okay. Well, it kind of started leading up to it when I uh, joined hospice, really. Um, my journey to the 20th anniversary started in 2016. Um, because that was sort of my first experience where I could walk into a place and everybody could talk about death and dying and what it means and the process and, and just all of those things that I hadn't really been exposed to before that I didn't know a lot about. Um, so over time, getting to be there and, and learn and, and grow. And by the time I approached really the point. I just want to stop you right there because I hadn't even thought of it that way. You had so much death in your life and that's all we did at hospice. It was death from the time we got to work until the time we left. So that was a very comfortable place for you. Right. Interesting. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. (laughs) No, it's funny. Um, Actually, I I never would have thought that volunteering for hospice would ever have been my thing. Despite my long history, I was like, there's no way I can't. But a a friend of mine said, you should go do that. And, you know, um, it it did. It started me kind of on this education journey and sort of this emotional sort of process. Um, And then my cousin passed away at the beginning of 2018, which was Mm. the year of the 20th anniversary. And that brought me back to that bereavement coordinator, she had another group. So four years later, I'm back in her group dealing with my cousin's passing. And I stayed in through um, to the 20th anniversary of my dad. So it was this really, you know, long year of a journey between the two. Wow. And did you have, when you say there was a shift reset with that anniversary, did that help you let go of that guilt finally? And what the way he died and that 12-year-old little girl that just really wanted to wish she could go back in time and change that, which is important. A lot of healing went on in the, the 10 months prior. Um, and I was, I was absolutely able to make peace with, you know, there is nothing I could have done, you know, and I wasn't supposed to do anything. And I, I learned a lot, you know, from that experience and just being able, like you were talking about the heaviness, I was able to take off that like cloak of my identity of I'm losing all these people. And this is just a lot to carry. And I was able to shift that to a more positive, instead of thinking about what I had lost, thinking about what I had gained from knowing all of these people and those experiences. 
Um, and once I kind of did that, everything sort of started to come together. Wow. So with all the deaths, Margaret, you feel, because I've known you for a little bit now, that there's like this, this turning point, you know, where, okay, death's going to be a, it's going to be a, it's going to be a theme in my life. And does that, do you sit well with that now? Like if, if, do you just feel like this is, this is really true for the rest of your life? Do you feel that? I do. I feel like I've come to, to own that and take pride in it actually now, whereas before it was like this kind of a bad thing, a negative, but now it's, you know, I've, I've owned it and I'm proud of it and it's what I've been able to life. do. Yeah. Gosh, sometimes I just, I look at you and I just want to think, you know, me too. I mean, I look at you and I think, okay, why has this young woman had to go through so much death in her life? What is it? You know, and I think, you know, a lot of people ask me questions about death and why I'm so comfortable. I think I make a lot of people uncomfortable because I'm so comfortable with death, (laughs) you know, and that's what the show's about. It's about that death is a part of life. I'm going to die. You're going to die. My engineer, Andrew, who helps me all the time, he's going to die. You know, we're all going to die. And I think that the sooner, some of us sooner than others, can because of what we do for a living because of what you you've gone through in your life it's it's front and center for us death is not something that's pushed off into a corner and I'll worry about that when I get sick which is the worst thing you could possibly do period living your life and experiencing it and one of the things that I think is really important and main reason I wanted to have you on the show Margaret is to show people that it's work to grieve Absolutely. It was a lot of, it was a slugfest with grief. A slugfest. That's great. Yeah. It was an all out brawl to get through that. Yeah. It it must've been, it's like, what is it? The, the, the saying that they say, um, there's two wolves and fighting me. Wait, there's two wolves inside of me. Which one's going to win? It's the one that you feed or something like that. Exactly. It's kind of like that. Right. But you get to a point where you're just, you're just tired of it. But when you begin to work through it, there is an opening that begins to take place. So death for you is almost kind of getting to be something that it's just part of life where most people resist that. Do we want people to go? No. Do you want your friends to pass away? No, of course not. But they were called. And when they're called, we have to sit with it. I wonder sometimes... Do you think in your life, with all of this that's happened to you, do you think that that's, it's something that you'll still always stay in the field of hospice and work in it to be helping and learn more? I'm not sure that I'll stay in hospice per se, but I definitely think I'm kind of led to be in a service position in a community um, related, you know, being um, with people. Right, um, about connection. Yeah, right. That was one of your big ahas that you had. Right. The amount of connections that you've made because of the deaths. Mm-hmm. It's about the human connection. And that makes you very unique, Margaret. It really does. Because it, in our society right now, it's, it's something that's getting quite lost. And I'm the same. I'm a person that needs human connection. I love it. I don't, I would prefer to be with people than by myself, you know, 
unless I need a little me time or something like that. But other than that, I just feel that we're here to help people. And for you, it's through death. Right. Yeah. But I didn't always embrace that. For a long time, it was, I want to push people away. I don't want to get close to anyone because I'm going to lose them, right? I keep having this left and right. So it took me a while to even get to the place of wanting to embrace people and engage in life. Um, Yeah. Whereas before it was, if I just don't approach that, then I won't get hurt, right? But that's obviously not the case. Yeah. So once I kind of flipped that switch, everything shifted. And, you know, if people don't, if people don't do the work, that's what happens. They end up being alone, becoming very isolated and angry and not fun to be around. And I don't know, you know, I always try and encourage people in my own work, if you're going through something, to really be present with what's there instead of pushing it away, whether it's through death, whether it's through I'm sure that what you've learned has helped you with a lot of other things in your life, maybe with your disability. And I and your your mom right now, you're taking care of your mother right now, correct? I I just moved back home, but I was taking care of her for, for a bit. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad she's doing okay. She's doing better, right? Yep, she's doing really well. Good. I'm glad. So and and how does that how did that relationship with your mom change through all of the years that you guys had where you weren't talking and stuff. And I imagine that's been part of the growth is your relationship with your mom. Very important stuff. And I know you love her dearly. I do. Um, our relationship has drastically changed in the last 20 years, in the last 10 years. Um, you know, when my dad passed away, I was just, you know, she, she and I were about a year later, we're the only ones in the house. So it was just this, you're the one here. I'm going to take it out on you you know, you put me in a position to make some decisions that I didn't, you know, didn't feel, you know, so it's just very angry, very bitter, very just, I don't want to get, you know, to know you. And it, it's taken me in that journey of acceptance and kind of coming to, you know, there's nothing I could have done with my, you know, with my dad and all of these different little things along the way. Um, you know, and my mom had cancer again in 2010. So it was another opportunity of, okay, what if something happens? So then I got, you know, a chance to get a little closer. And then now, with this, you know, this last round, I stayed with her for about six weeks and we really got a chance to connect and are closer than ever now, I think. I think that is so beautiful, Margaret. Really beautiful. I was writing an article um, just literally this week and it was about the story that's in my book, Dearly Departed. And it was about a mother and a daughter and it was a hospice patient that I, that I had when I was, when you and I were working together. And she, huh, so interesting. Her house began to flood. So here's, here's, here's the gifts. And I know we're going to go on break in a minute, but I'm going to start the story. So the gifts that are there to be reaped when people die, people don't understand and don't see it because of everything that's happened to you in your life. No matter when that time comes with, with your mom, no matter when that comes, you're going to be one of the few. Nothing really prepares you to lose your parents. I will say that. You'll be sad no matter what. But the way that you're going to process it is going to be far different than it would have been 10 years ago. Absolutely. Isn't that a gift? It is. Isn't that so amazing? It is. And and there's nothing, you know, and there's, there's, 
both my parents are gone. And I really felt that when both of them died with my mom, I had a very incredible experience. It's in the book. (laughs) And my dad, I just really wanted to make peace with him. He had a really tough childhood and a lot of different things that happened to him. And I'm so grateful that because of my hospice work and everything that happened in my life, that when he died, even though it was hard, the grief wasn't as hard because I was at peace with the relationship. I think I'm, I'm in that same kind of, you know, yes, absolutely, it will be hard, but it will be a different kind of hard Yeah. than ever before. And I really do believe, too, that our parents are our biggest lessons in life. Really. It's why they were our parents. True. Well, why don't we go to this other break? We're going to go to another short little break, and we'll be back. And I'm going to tell you guys a little story about something when we get back. Thanks. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Nina offers an alternative to traditional counseling. Sessions are not just 50 minutes, but a full hour. When you go in for a regular counseling session, many times you don't remember everything. Nina's difference is a summary email after each session and or a follow-up phone call if needed up to two weeks after. Nina also provides hospital visit consultations as necessary. Sessions with Nina and Paula are $250. And if you book a three-session package, you will get a $100 discount. Let's get you feeling peaceful and happy again. Losing someone we love is one of the most challenging, fearful, and heart-rending experiences we are ever likely to face. In her book, Dearly Departed, Nina Impala shares stories of her experiences as a hospice volunteer for more than 12 years and how those experiences prepared her for the final days of her own parents. Nina emphasizes the importance of being a good listener and living a good life. Dearly Departed by Nina Impala is available in paperback or Kindle edition through Amazon.com or your favorite book retailer. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to inspiring end-of-life conversations if you have a question for nina impala or her guest today call into our program at 1-888-346-9141 that's 1-888-346-9141 or send an email to tutoring for the spirit at gmail.com now back to this week's program okay we're back with margaret lennon I wanted to share a little story because I was thinking of um, you and your mom, Margaret, and I think it's an important story that came from when I was doing hospice work. And here is the lesson with it. The importance of saying what you need to say, opening up to grief so that when death comes, you're ready. 
you may not be ready in your heart. You may not want that person to go, but the importance of paying attention to what's happening in your life instead of pushing it down. And I'll just tell this really quick. There was this um, little gal, and um, I'll call her Estelle, not her real name. And I was taking care of her, and her house kept flooding and kept flooding and kept flooding. And one day I went to her house, and she probably over-medicated herself or something, or she should have been in bed, and she was eating watermelon. It was all over her face, and I had to call hospice and let them know, we need to find housing for her. She needs to go somewhere and because she couldn't live on, on her own anymore. Her daughter and her had something very similar to what you were talking about with your mom back 10 years ago. Well, they didn't want to put her somewhere, so they took her in. The magic that happened between the mother and the daughter was amazing. And it changed everything. Her grief got easier. Her life became brighter. Her heart was more open because she was no longer carrying that burden of what she needed to say or how she could heal. And as you know, Margaret, you can't do the healing work until you take that first step. Absolutely. And you found so many cool things. You really did. I mean, you've been an inspiration to me. I, I, I know that you talked about the term about getting over losses. You know how people talk about that and how that makes you feel. The other tor- terrible phrase that people say is time heals all wounds. That's... That's completely a misnomer to me. I don't like that one either. So when people, someone says that to you, tell me what you're, what does that, what does that mean? Time heals all wounds. What does that mean to you? Uh, well, to me, when people say that it's sort of like, well, if time goes by enough, eventually it won't hurt as, as much or whatever. But, but to me, it's not about the time. It's about what you do with it. And for me, that was absolutely the case. I didn't really grieve the first 10 years after my dad passed. But once I you know, got on board with that, it was that, that active processing that made the difference. It wasn't just waiting for weeks and months and years to go by. That's great. That, that was just beautiful what you just said. Because you didn't grieve for the, the first 10 years of your life. It all got kind of packed away. So there's no way you could have gotten over it. There's no way that time was going to heal it. You needed to do the work. I hope everybody's listening to this because it's super important. You have to take that first step. And I think too, when you open up, like you started to, stuff will start to come to you. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Because you've opened up a pathway. You've said to the universe, I'm ready. I'm ready to grieve. And then the universe God, whatever you believe in, starts to put things in your path. My arms are flying in the air because I'm trying to (laughs) explain how that happens. So that's what started for you. You told me about a book. I actually ordered the book. And I think her name is Corey Corey Dorfield, 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 Dorfield. And it's called The Rabbit Listened. Yeah, that's a, a special book that I found recently as well. It's a children's book, right? It is. It's for supposedly for preschool to kindergarten. Oh, my God. And so what was the most important thing with you with that book? How did it help you? Tell us about that because I'm actually going to grab a copy because it looks good. And just the word listen does a lot for me for anything that I'm working on. Right. So sort of the premise of the story is there's this this boy who goes through this traumatic experience. It doesn't say what, just this something, you know, catastrophic in their life happens. And... Uh, a lot of different um, animals come to this person and say, you know, oh, you should, you know, deal, deal with it this way or deal with it that way. And every time somebody comes along, it's 
the, the boy doesn't, it doesn't match up with what the boy's feeling. It doesn't like, that's not going to work for me every time somebody brought up a new thing. And it wasn't until the rabbit comes and just sits with the boy that that was the space that, that made all the difference. Mm. Just having someone to listen and not try to fix it. You know, whereas a lot of people want to fix and help and be there. Sometimes yeah. you can't. No. So part of that, that's part of that human connection thing where it's so beautiful and, you know, when people pass away or people are grieving, usually, I mean, the word that comes to me is helplessness. Absolutely. I can't, I can't keep you alive. Or when your dad died and you couldn't go back and fix it. There's right. nothing you could have done. And I have heard people say, I wish I could have saved them. There could have been something I could have done. That own thought went through my head when my mother died. You know, what can I do? I can, I can help her with this. I can give her energy healing and help her and make the tumor go away. And you, it's, it's what that place that you have to get to, that level of acceptance. Right. I would say that's what truly helps us grow is acceptance. Okay. Truly. Because you you had to get to a point in your life where you just had to accept the fact that this is going to be my life. And I've lost all these friends. I mean, Margaret, and when you look ahead at your beautiful young life, I mean, there are unlimited possibilities for you as far in the future, as far as helping people. Because you're, you're way older than your years because of what you've gone through. And, and you're articulate because of what you've gone through. And you're able to help people. So, in moving forward on this, would you say in your life, the direction that you're going right now, it's something that you're excited about? I would. Well, uh, tell us about that because we want to hear. Tell us about your memoir that you want to write and what that's looking like for you because we're going to get it out there past the skin. Oh boy, I'm committing to it, I guess now. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been trying to write this book for, for years. It's funny, when I was in probably junior high, maybe even earlier, I had this idea of, I'm going to write a book about my life. I'm going to write an autobiography at 10, 12, 13. Like, the life I've had since then, like, you know, that's the stuff to write about. So, um, yeah, I've been, you know, journaling along the way and just have different stories that I can now tell without falling apart to the point that I get lost in in the emotion the struggle you know now I can kind of look at the lessons of these things and you know in in doing all of the grief work now being able to say this is what I've learned from it this is what I've been through right um, is now like the next piece of it is making the meaning you know it's your story you know we all have a story and recognizing that story and being able to talk freely about it and not feel judged or what's the other word I want, if not feeling judged or misunderstood. You know, that's something in life that I think people sometimes are afraid to talk about their life for feeling of being judged. And, you know, you get to a certain place in your life. It just doesn't matter. Right. You live an adventurous life. I've lived an adventurous life. I'm grateful for that. I've had a lot of experiences. I don't know that everybody would agree with it. But for when you look at your life and what you've gone through, 
it, it, you just can't judge it. And the way you've decided to move through it, that first 10 years, you know, where you were just unable to even talk about it, but you didn't have good people to lean on, so to speak, or right. people that could kind of help you through it, even as a child. Well, once, once I started to find those people, it gave me sort of that permission to write about my story, to tell my story, to own it, to be okay with it. Whereas before it was, oh, just don't talk about it. Nobody, you know, nobody gets it. Nobody's with you in this process. But once it was kind of normalized and I started to kind of work through it, it was like, okay, this is part of my story and it's a story worth telling. Yeah. And normalized. That's, that's, a, that's kind of a key word with grief is normalizing the way your, your life is now. You know, we've had a lot of death in our world recently for all kinds of things. And I, I personally know people that are grieving pretty hard right now and trying to find a way to have a normal life. But what, what is normal? There's no such thing. <laughs> I agree with you 100%. I don't really think anything's normal right now. So whatever it is, finding your normal, your normal period, is a normal that has the theme of death. Yep, that's my theme. That's your theme. And, you know, death, it, they make it such a scary word, but it's just a word just like just like anything else. It really is. When you take the scary out of it, you know, we're coming up on Halloween, so we have to see all the gross stuff on TV and all that dumb stuff that I can't stand. But, um, yes, death is something that is, it's just okay, Death is okay, and that's inspiring end-of-life conversations. It's just okay. And when you work through it, and that's what the show has been about today, is working through it and the amazing connections that have happened in your life because of it and the richness of your life. Absolutely. It's, it's amazing the connections you can make out of the loss. It's amazing what you can gain that you don't really realize, well, the we gifts may- of that. Then, yes, the gifts of that. And what did we name the show today? Conversations with Scars. How did that come to you, that title? Because we're thinking we might, we won't say it completely, but maybe that could be the name of your memoir. Maybe, but it could change. About 10 years ago, that actually was, that is what came to me as the title for my memoir. So it still might be, unless somebody steals it before I can get my memoir down, um, that was going to be and still could be. Uh, my memoir title, because, you know, I have physical scars scars from surgery and I have, you know, the emotional scars from, you know, some other things. So it's, yeah. But it's a really good way to put it, Margaret. You know, it's being in tune with what's going on in your body. It's, It's being in tune with your life's purpose. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the suffering that's involved, you know, here in life as we're kind of coming to the close of the show. But what I want to say is that the, the suffering that's in our lives, I don't think very many people get through this life without suffering. It's, it's a part of life. And I, I think it's a part of the lessons that we're supposed to learn, you know, and it's there Maybe you don't see it on a person's face all the time or see it while they're walking around and stuff, but it's definitely a part of life. And when there is a level of acceptance with suffering, with death, with this is my life, opening up to that, 
it's almost like more of a feeling than I can even put it into words, Margaret. Mm-hmm. It's like all my near-death experiencers, when they talk about it, you know, they when they talk about being on the other side and feeling the light and there's no words to describe it. Mm-hmm. That's what I like to say about opening up to the level of acceptance in your life. Right. I can smile about it now. I'm sitting here just sort of basking in this this joy about it, which a lot of people would kind of go like, wait, what? Yeah. But now I can, in going through the process, like I, I yeah, I, it makes me smile now to think about all of that. That's interesting. Yeah. That must be a pretty good feeling. It's amazing. <laughs> I love it. After years and years and years of being, being down and, and in the struggle place, you know, the last few deaths that I've had, you know, I got to do differently and that's been an amazing experience and now I have a completely different relationship with death and loss and grief you're on like a new trajectory and if you look at today okay because I'm into astrology a little bit folks you're on your solar return so you're letting go of what happened and you're going forward and and just making your life rich because of what's happened as you move forward. You're a smart little girl. You really are. I'm so grateful that you came on the show today. I know it just flew for you, but I am so grateful. Was there anything in closing that you'd like to say, Margaret? Just for, for people that are going through it, there is hope at the end of the tunnel. It doesn't necessarily last forever, despite what it might feel like. And there are people that you can connect with that have been through it too. And, and, you know, you're not alone. And that will help you. Yeah. Well, Margaret's on Facebook. If you want to talk to her, ask her any questions, any other website or anything like that for you, Margaret? No. Okay. Well, I, I'm so grateful that you came on. Happy birthday. I'd sing, but I got a horrible voice for that. So <laughs> thank you. That's okay. I hope, you have, <laughs> I hope you have a really wonderful rest of your day. And thanks so much. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. So here we are. Thank you so much for another show of Inspiring End of Life Conversations. We're so grateful that Margaret came on today and learning about grief, opening your heart to the pain and suffering that is in there makes miracles. It really does. So bookmark my show. We'll see you in a week. And thanks a lot, everybody. Have a great rest of your week. Bye-bye. We hope you have found hope in this week's edition of Inspiring End-of-Life Conversations. Please join your host, Nina Impala, for another program next Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll talk again soon.